inherently understand marketing's value than do, but it doesn't mean that they're not open to influence and that you can change them through, you know, explaining your program maybe a million times, but how you're educating them on it, how you're teaching them what good looks like so they can evaluate you properly versus their idea of what good marketing is. Welcome to another episode of Marketers Talking Marketing. Today we are joined by Marissa and we are talking about managing up and what managing up and helping really manage expectations looks like across different organization types, stages, etc. So Marissa, throwing it over to you, why don't you tell the audience at home a little bit about yourself and then we'll just jump into the conversation. For sure. So I am the VP marketing at a company called Irwin. And we are a Series A funded startup based out of Toronto that focuses on investor relations and capital markets. So we provide uh, software to IR teams and uh, management teams at public companies and uh, their advisors. I've been in marketing for a very long time. Um, I started my career at a company called Corel, a very old uh, software company uh, based in Ottawa, where I am located. And I started my career in social media and then was there for a few years, got the corporate experience um, for better or worse, and then moved agency side. And I joined a company that's now called Crafting Crew and was sort of built out the marketing practice there. I was there for seven years working with hundreds of clients over that time. Um, and then finally decided to take the plunge client side and worked at a unified communications company that was acquired and also rebranded. Uh, it's now called Netphone and helped build the demand gen and marketing program there. And then recently, a year and a half ago, joined Irwin and we have been um, building the marketing team from scratch, building the company from scratch and sort of growing our presence, disrupting the market, all that fun stuff. So uh, I also do some instructing and teaching. Um, I was a founding instructor of a, a program at the University of Ottawa, um, which was the first of its kind to uh, be accredited by a institution like U of O, uh, but be completely taught and managed by private industry. And uh, more recently, the Modern Marketing Certificate, which was actually started by one of the original students in that first program. Um, so yeah, I'm kind of all over the place, but uh, that that's a condensed version of, of my experience. Awesome. I mean, it's a great kind of gambit to go across of different areas and something uh, similarly, I've traveled between different kind of functions and company sizes throughout the course of my career. And a really common thread that I found that I think doesn't get talked about enough is learning how to manage up, especially to executives with that and making sure that everyone else you work with internally, executives, stakeholders and other teams understand your work, what you're doing, your contribution, your impact. Uh, the, the converse is you'll see people and, and if you're listening to this and feel, you know, this way, like drop a Drop a comment below with your story if you're on the YouTubes with the comments. Uh, but you'll be doing work and you're like, man, like I'm doing great work. This project is fantastic. And like no one knows what I'm doing. No one knows what I do here. No one understands my impact and my value. Or people are keep asking me like to explain this over and over and over again. And it can be super frustrating. I think managing up is really kind of the solution for it. But not a lot of people talk about it. So 
we'll just we'll just start with that. What do you think about managing up? I think it's really interesting, actually. And I was having this conversation with somebody the other day about how, you know, like sometimes it feels as a marketer, as a marketing leader, as an individual contributor that you're like shouting into the wind and uh, about what it is that you're doing. And you don't you can't get people to use the things you're doing or appreciate the things you're doing. And I think like in my experience, there's some foundational elements that can like avoid that. And the first ultimate piece of you can call it managing up or just like making sure you're in the right spot is working with a a team and at a company that appreciates the value of marketing to begin with. Oh my God. Life changer. Life Life changer. changer. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Because if, if people like strategically, if people know organization like wide, how the marketing work impacts their own KPIs and they appreciate that and they understand it, then it's so much easier to get things done. And and you don't have to, the education you do is all positive, right? As opposed to being like reactionary and trying to prove your value. Well, you're consuming all of your time convincing someone that you're needed. I, especially with sellers, have ran into this where some sellers just do not care about marketing. Typically, they have spent their career self-sourcing their own pipeline. They've never had marketing as a a large contributor to what they're doing. And so they're like, I don't need marketing. I can do my job. Like, you hired me (laughs) to sell. Don't worry, I got this. Um, They're also the ones that tend to make their own decks and don't care if you have logo approval on it, right? They go rogue. And then you have sellers who come from organizations where they've they've had inbounds that convert and they know the value of marketing and they're open to partner. And those conversations are totally different, totally, totally, different. totally yeah. different. And a lot of that is leadership, right? So I feel like if it, everything comes from the top. So if there's a sales leader who appreciates that about marketing, then you have a different experience with their team. And it just makes such a fundamental yeah. difference. And you spend so much less time just like, running the rat race treadmill of, of being like, I deserve a job. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Oh my God. So many, I think it's also a universal marketing experience of having to really justify it. Um, I think there's more organizations that don't inherently understand marketing's value than do, but it doesn't mean that they're not open to influence and that you can change them through, you know, explaining your program maybe a million times, but how you're educating them on it, how you're teaching them what good looks like so they can evaluate you properly versus their idea of what good marketing is on that yeah. side. I think too, like every, I've never met an executive who doesn't think that they can do marketing, whether oh that's a CEO, a CFO, uh, you know, a, a COO in some cases. Like I think that, you know, they're, everybody thinks that they know. And no, so- no one thinks that they can do marketing as strongly as a technical co-founder who has never <laughs> done marketing before. Yeah. I, that, yes. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's a wild experience, yeah. but it is, it is very common. So I think like my best advice on, on that side is to create, even if it is only an illusion, but ideally it is real co-creation of these things of your programs and have them involved in the ideation and learn to, um, you know, have their ideas shot down or learn to, uh, you know, explain things more or 
during that process, it's like, okay, well, why? I'm just asking them that question. Yeah. Um, but if they're not involved in the co-creation, all you get is criticism. And yeah. that criticism, even if a pro- I have had programs that have done exceptionally well, come under fire, like by, by the metric that we all agreed on, come under yeah. fire six months later, it's like, well, you know, like it didn't do, it didn't do this thing that we didn't decide that it was supposed to do in the first yeah. place. You know, so um, I think part of it is just the understanding who it is you're dealing with and then how to get them involved in the process so that they feel like they have some level of ownership without driving everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but ultimately, that's not going to be good if the organization itself doesn't understand the value of marketing. Yeah. Set, setting expectations up front. Like that's, I think, the the key, if you're making a list of how to do this, like number one is setting expectations up front. Uh, number zero is go to an organization that likes marketing, that yep. likes marketing. Yep. That's like the precursor. Your life will be a lot easier. But number yep. one is level setting those expectations. Because often people, especially executives, will have an idea of what marketing is. And it's typically either sometimes they're right. You know, sometimes they are right. But yep. typically it's maybe like a little bit outdated. Or it's it's what marketing looks like when marketing's been established as well was running well. The number of times I've had a conversation with a fellow marketer who is like my my manager, my boss, my executive team is looking at competitors and wants us to be winning against competitors well, in Google search and X, Y, and Z. But I only have a hundred thousand dollar budget for the year. So I and I look at like I have a client right now where their main competitor spends half a million dollars a month on advertising. And like, you're never going to win against that. And so setting expectation, what is actually achievable? What's our roadmap to go there? I'm a huge fan of decks. I have a deck for everything. A manager early in my career told me whoever has the deck runs the meeting. So here's my plan. Bam. We all agreed upon this. We're building our foundation right now. This is what it looks like. You're not going to get a thousand leads coming in because we don't need that yet. We need to get our routing set up. We need to get X, Y, and Z. So like really getting that expectation there and then reporting on progress towards that expectation with the reminder that like we all agreed upon this. So yeah. I know I know that you want to see, you know, more mentions on Twitter as like your main KPI for marketing success, but we're going to look at pipeline. <laughs> yeah. And it's like I think too it's so difficult to balance to balance like performance and potential. Um and I think like this is why I like startups because you can often drive the way forward versus if you rebuild something, like if you go into an existing organization to rebuild something, there are expectations that are pre-existing and there yeah. are things that have worked kind of somewhat for long periods of time that you have to kind of tear down. The thing is <laughs> that I find really interesting is, you know, we, as a really like pertinent example at Irwin, our competitors are multi-billion dollar public companies that have existed and have you know roamed the earth for decades um, if not longer in some cases and they have huge marketing budgets and they have um, a basically unlimited spend to do things and so when we decided what we were going to do to build our program we were like well you know there's a gap in I think like the empathy with the audience and really taking an unvested interest in helping them do things better, whether that's like content creation or, you know, things of that nature. Um, 
And all this to say, like, we've grown the marketing department from basically 10% of, of company ARR to 70%. Um, Whoa! In the last year and a half. Shit. And, and that's, for many reasons, a leadership team that it backs us and, and gets the the strategy. And, and they obviously have ideas, too. And we, we they have great ideas. And we take those and run with them. But the performance program... And those are the things that I think are really important, like balancing short-term wins with long-term vision and strategy, because if we didn't do that, we wouldn't necessarily get permission to do the things that we have been doing that are maybe a little bit more out of the box. Um, but as we started to get results on some of those, like, you know, things you know are going to work, um, it gave us the leverage to be like, and we also want to do some kind of crazy shit, you know? Yeah, you get this incremental wins <laughs> exactly. and that buys you the additional kind of bandwidth to do some of the, the less expected things. How are you sharing those wins internally? So it, it's one thing to get a win, but it's another thing to make sure that everyone is really seeing the win, understanding the win and appreciating the win. Yeah, Maybe so not we, appreciating, but at least... <laughs> understanding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I would say and uh, probably maybe too much transparency uh, sometimes into performance and that is shared with the entire company. So we are very clear and we have a model and we have metrics and, and KPIs. We, we have a space in our town halls to talk about it. Uh, we have ongoing revenue leadership conversations uh, where we talk about contributions from various teams. And I think too, the sharing becomes a lot easier when you're not fighting for your life, to be completely honest. Like the sharing is more collaborative when you're not like, but look, like it's fine. You know, we share and uh, we share that win with sales. And if we there because we're so, I think, collaborative at, at in this environment. Um, a win for us is a win for them because that's their pipeline. It's their it's their closed one revenue. And the we hold we have the same goals. So we have a shared interest, you know? It's definitely in a world, I've been at companies in the past, not recently, where there was such contention for budget and there wasn't that alignment at the leadership side. And so anytime you talk about a campaign and you talk about, you know, we spent $10,000 on direct mailing because like that stuff's not cheap. They'd be nope. like, why'd you do that? You could have spent $10,000 on like this outsourced BDR firm to set meetings. It's like, what? No, this is not the same thing. <laughs> like, no. you know, and you, you don't have that psychological safety almost of the partnership to be able to really talk about it freely on that yeah. side. Yeah. yeah. And I think like there is a very big difference. And this is why I think shared metrics are also so important between marketing and sales, because I've been in situations where marketing has lead metrics and, and people in marketing get paid on those lead metrics. So yeah. their number one goal is number and volume of leads and sales is number one goal is obviously like closed one deals and so you know they're pissed off because we're all successful because we had our lead numbers or you know like yeah. they're they're resentful because they're not able to hit their targets but no one has incentivized that team on quality that drives revenue yeah. Nothing will drive a division between sales and marketing quicker than being in a meeting where sales is reporting that no one hit their target and marketing is celebrating hitting their targets because the targets are not aligned. Nothing yeah. will nothing will get like the death laser stares going quicker than that. And how unproductive at the end of the day, right? Like, yeah. I think, you know, there is everybody wants to win and everybody when they don't win looks for blame. 
And yeah, I think that like having a vested interest in educating the for marketing to educate the sales team on and vice versa for sales to educate marketing on what is driving interest, what is driving deal closing, what is driving opportunities, what are the challenges you're running into? Because that shared communication is great. But the metric, yeah. the KPIs for your team drive the behaviors. And I think like, like if BDR teams are only comped on demos, as an example, you're going to get a lot of demos yeah. and we're all going to be good. But they're they're just doing what they're expected to do at the end of the day, right? And then everybody gets mad at each other and it's not productive and it doesn't drive any kind of vision forward, you know? Yeah. You know, having that relationship also is so crucial. If we have like number zero is going to a company that appreciates marketing and number one is aligning on your goals and then reporting on those goals. Number two, I think really would be forming that relationship and having a good relationship internally comes not just from doing good work in your in your role and having an impact on their programs. I think understanding your partners in the organization, what their goals are, how you can impact their goals, even if it doesn't serve your goals to help make them better. There's the idea of uh, first team mentality, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that's something I talked to. I have an old employee that I haven't, she hasn't worked for me in, I want to say like a year and a half and we still have a bi-weekly one-on-one. <laughs> together. I love that so much. Um, yeah, we were talking about the other day, but when you come into an organization, your main team is your peers. Yep. So if you're head of marketing, your team is head of sales, head of partner channel, you know, head of X, Y, and Z. And so how can you really ensure that you're impactful and helping all of their goals and programs, even when it doesn't directly result in you saying, I hit my goal? You know, how do you really work together on that and understanding their pain points, their needs? That's where I think a lot of partnership comes from. So when you walk into a meeting, and marketing didn't hit their target, but sales hits theirs, your sales partner saying, hey, like marketing, what can we do to make this better? You know, it's not that like throwing each other under the bus mentality because you all want to just get your goal at the cost of everyone else. It's we're all in this together. Like let's work towards this together. And that creates that space for, I think, experimentation and understanding on that front. Because like I might not get what you're doing, but I know that you know your shit. So go do it and that buys you favor right in instances where you like you said like you need someone to have your back or you know in getting buy-in for experimentation or you know navigating challenging employee situations or leadership situations of the company like having that knowing what motivates people is the key to helping you know as long as your intentions are good i would say get things that you want to get done and that that really is all it comes down to. It's like, I know what motivates you. So I know exactly how to frame and discuss this piece of information because I know how it's going to impact you. And that will get you to be, uh, you know, a partner in the marketing organization so that I can count on you to approve these things or, you know, even... It, come, it affects so much so deeply. Like, even giving people raises is another thing, right? Like, I've had pushback because it's like, oh, well, you know, like... Yeah, this person may handle every single dollar that comes out of our business, but like, I don't think they're a great communicator. And it's like based on on what? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, you know. So it impacts being, so many things. Yeah, being able to, it's I always I always advise people, especially earlier in your career or newer to a company, really think about and map out your sphere of influence, because uh, your boss may want to give you a promotion, but who ultimately can decide it? 
who, yeah. who really gets to decipher it. I was in a role once where I was doing just a ton of work and leveling wise. I was, I was working beyond my level. Sure. It's happened a couple times through, throughout my career. And so typically I go back and talk about, you know, here's what I'm doing. Here's the level. Like, let's talk through this. And I've been in orgs where they said, okay, yeah, like we agree. Like you're definitely doing that work. And here's the next step is we need to make sure that like everyone internally understands that too. So let me go have a conversation. And I've been in orgs where they've said, okay, cool. Agree you're doing this, but really, you know, for, for that level, what leadership wants is someone with, I literally was told one time that they want someone with gray hair and they want someone with decades of experience. And so because I don't have decades of experience, I'm not, they're not, they're never going to approve that promotion, even though I'm doing all the work. And that's something that if you, if you come in and you're trying to, to move around in the org, you're trying to be impactful, you need to understand where are those stops, where do you need to form allies, who ultimately is going to be able to say yes or no to these things that you need done, because it's probably not you, it's probably not your boss, and it's probably not someone even in your function often, it's like finance. And then forming that relationship so that when it comes time for you to promote an employee, for you to try and get promoted, for you to ask for more budget, that person already knows you. They know the work you're doing and they have that, oh yeah, that makes sense. Instead of, well, I don't really, that perfect example too that you uh, brought up. I had an employee once that I wanted to promote and I could not promote them because two tiers above me, the person two roles above me didn't know what they did. I was like, well... Wild. I'm telling you weekly, here's all the employee wins. Are you not sharing those, boss person? What do you need from me for you to do that better? Because now I can't promote my employee who deserves it. <laughs> like And like all that happens and we see it and we see yeah. it more and more is you lose your high performers. Like who yeah. wants to be in that position? Like, you know, and no place is so great to work that a high performer isn't going to be like, well, this place no. literally by title and salary and all these things value me more. So I'm going to take my talents elsewhere. Yeah. Like, losing your high performers and sometimes even as, as like a leader of those, like a requires, I think, strong leadership skills to navigate and to elevate that profile where they can't build those relationships yourself, like whatever, for whatever reason, there might be barriers mm. there. Or they just are uncomfortable or whatever. So you have to like consistently push, have documentation, all of those things. But I really yeah. think it's, you know, and and it's definitely harder for women. It's definitely harder for minorities. It's, it's there is more battles to be fought on perception and bias in that state. Executive part of the- presence. Executive. I hate the term executive presence. I went on a rant the other episode about this. Executive presence, I think, is such a loaded term. It, what does that mean? It means yeah. It means white man is what it means. Yeah, it's a it's a bucket for all your biases that you don't want to say publicly, yep. and so you're just going to put down and say needs to work on executive presence. Fuck is that? <laughs> like it's literally nothing. Literally, yeah. and it's it's so you know there's that that quote and I, I say it a lot, but I've I've yet to run into very many instances where it's not true that men are promoted on potential and women are promoted on on performance and i think like i have seen that especially in marketing which you know tends to to lean more towards a a a more women oriented uh makeup at least maybe that's just the teams i'm building also and and that's fair too but it's challenging I, i will say uh something that i personally get frustrated with is and where i think is a very great example of this is if you look at 
I'm going to say this and some, someone is going to like come for me on it. <laughs> if you look at, let's look at like the top marketing conferences and speakers. And if you look at a lot of the men that are speaking in marketing conferences and how many years they have been in their function or how many roles they have had in their function, there are a lot of very prominent white men in the marketing world who have been in their function for one or two companies. Yes. And they are speaking at conferences telling you how to do the function when the women speakers have been like have grown four or five companies from zero to a million ARR. They've done this so many times, but you have this world, this ecosystem. And I, I find it to be, that's why I started the podcast. I started this podcast because I'm getting frustrated of seeing the same individuals who do not have a ton of experience on a stage talking about how to run marketing. When I look at that and I say, I would never have my first role in revenue marketing would never be VP of revenue marketing coming from an ancillary marketing function. Like nope. that is not a role that exists for women. No, nope. this is nope. not and a role. You have to actively pull yourself out of it. Sometimes like I'm scrolling things or I'm on LinkedIn and it's the same five dudes yeah. always. And like, it's not that everything that they say is bad, but most of it is just, it's, I find it very surface level. I find that they don't have the substance. They don't have the emotional intelligence a lot of the times to, to navigate situations. And sure, like it's, it's been easy for you, but for every guy like that, there's a hundred women who have, you know, demonstrated mm -hmm. program growth, who have um, effectively managed relationships, built, like you said, built companies. And there's a really, there's a video and I forget her name at the moment. Uh, I think it was on like Diary of a CEO, uh, I believe. And this woman was like, I have walked into rooms with some of the most successful men in history and been like, you? Yeah. Really? Yeah. You? There's a guy that if I said his name, everyone knows who he is. And I know people who've been at companies with him before in the past. And so I know what it's taken to actually build the programs and what he says on how they're successful isn't the case. Like you had phenomenal product market fit. You had an amazing sales team. You were early to market mover. Like there's other things that make you successful. And I encountered him at one spot because we were on a shared situation together. Right. And so I looked at what he had produced and I was like, oh my God, this is absolute shit. <laughs> Grammar, like it's just, it's just shit. It was, I redid most of it. Yep. And I just sat there. I was like, wow, this individual is heralded as a pioneer in B2B marketing. I'm being a bit like, maybe not pioneer. I don't know if I would say that, but he, he's heralded as someone he's, he's at every conference yeah. and doesn't mean that he's bad at his job. No, it doesn't mean he's bad at his job. But when I look at it, there's so many other women that have done more and do more and they're not up there and they're not up there because they're not white men. Yeah. There's and it's no ridiculous. Yeah. There's yeah. no space for them. And you know, it's, it's, it's so, pervasive and it's such a problem because what this has created is an echo chamber of bullshit best practices that don't yeah. actually work and the majority of b2b companies in the world do not only market to sales and marketing people they have maybe more technical you know requirements of their of their marketing and their audience they have maybe bigger challenges like sure if you're you know one of the the five companies that everybody lists as, as a best practice um, but like you said, how easy has that been for you? You know, like, yeah. and what is that? That growth is, has so many variables. 
what about when you walk into a situation when I'll use my, my last role as an example, you're selling business phones to small and medium businesses across North America. And, you know, nobody is like, man, this is revolutionary, but it's a, it's a required aspect. And none of those none of those best practices help in that situation. Yeah. And what you do know? they do when the best practices don't work is they become fucking bullies about it. Yep. Yeah, there was. That's what it so that's what I've noticed, too, is they'll say, OK, so here's the reality of why most companies grow is if you have good product market fit and yep. you spend half a million dollars a month on advertising to a targeted audience and you have really aggressive sellers like that is going to get you really, really far. But yeah. what they'll do is they'll say, oh, this worked because marketing had this ad type. We did X, Y and Z this campaign. No. And so there's these companies out there that are heralded as leaders in it that everyone should file for best practices that really just spend a ton of money and they engage this echo chamber that amplifies their voice continuously. Like that's why they're successful. But yep. when you look and say, hey, I did what you said and it didn't work. They'll be like, oh, it, you did it wrong. You did it wrong. <laughs> or you did X, Y, and Z. No, no, this is the way. And we go, well, hey, you know, I get what you're saying. Like, that seems great. But you're spending, you're literally spending $400,000 a month on LinkedIn advertising. And I can't spend that. And so I don't think it's going to work for me. I need to do something else. Like, no, 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 this is the way. Like, you're not doing it right. It's like, yeah. no, you don't have substance to push back. Because the reality is, if my technique doesn't work for you, let's talk about it. Maybe your audience is different. Maybe they engage differently. Maybe you have different budget constraints. Maybe you are in, I think one of the, I was going to say financial services where it's a lot more heavily regulated with what you can say on the marketing side, which these people yep. never touch nope. and never talk to. Because when you start questioning, like your shit doesn't work and you start questioning it, they have no substance to defend it. And so they crumble and then they start attacking what you're doing as being wrong. It's, it's the it's, most frustrating thing. It's so frustrating. And like, I have gotten more cold outbound outreach from these companies, literally yeah. these big companies that has not understood the problems that I face. It's borderline insulting. And so most of them go unanswered in my inbox. And I know yeah. it's driven by people like this. And then I look at like the care and empathy that just, I think, comes more naturally to women brand leaders. Um, the the amount of discovery that they do, uh, the the you know yeah. less reckless approach to to understanding customers and to not you know spraying and praying and 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 doing these tactics that everybody does that just fall short. How many like uh, ebooks have you opened? with promising headlines that have yeah. no substance that well, are not helpful. And Okay. We talked about revenue a little bit earlier in the show. Only like 70% of B2B companies have a revenue target or a pipeline target. And a lot of these places too, when you say, Hey, I understand that like you're talking pipeline, we're not there yet. We're, you know, for whatever reason, we're just not there. We don't have pipeline targets. Like, well, you're not doing marketing, right? There are a lot of marketing teams that don't have pipeline targets. Like this, that's the reality of the situations. There's yep. historical companies that exist that aren't ready for it yet. They're not tracking it. Like there's an infrastructure that comes with it. And when you say like, no, no, like that's not me. Like, well, you're doing it wrong. Just completely ran off. Uh, have you mm, related? Okay. I don't know if you've noticed also how many MarTech companies are started by non-marketers who start yep. the company because they're like, well, marketers don't know how to do their job and we can do it better. 
Oh, so I was listening to there's a company that does uh, dynamic site personalization and their founder was like, yeah, you know, we built this tool and it was cool. And we, you know, we sold it. And then we said, where else could we use it? So I go, marketers, you know, marketing sucks. Like marketing is an echo chamber. Marketing today is horrible. And so we think we could make a tool for marketers to do a better job because marketing sucks. It's like, you have no marketing experience. You've never done marketing. There's so many MarTech companies that the founder is not a marketer, but they started a marketing company to make marketers do marketing better because they think, again, that they can do marketing better than marketers can. And it's like, it's all garbage. It's all $20,000 a year, $30,000 a year garbage. And it's incredibly annoying and frustrating. And, you know, none of these, these like quick fixes that all of these MarTech products end up being like they're, they're silver packages, silver bullets, and then they don't do anything. And then they end up on a shelf because you need 10 different tools for it to integrate and they only oh, wow. do a limited thing. And ultimately, I'm sorry, but if you're if you're building a tool on an API that is not completely public and that platform has the ability to change the API, it, it's a risk. Absolutely. And so why am I going to use your tool that does a limited set of things that I can do natively instead of doing it natively? But you're going to, again, convey like try and ostracize me that I'm like the bad person here because I don't see value in your tool when your tool may not have value to me. Yeah. And I'm not spending all of this because I think when you really understand the, the economics of, you know, what it takes to be like, not just a successful business, but a successful business that has good cash flow and reserves and things of that nature, none of these things are worth the cost yeah. that that they come with and like you you're not solving a problem big enough for me and you didn't understand that problem when you built the product and that is so many of these companies right now yeah one of my favorite tools in the entire world is rollworks i'll publicly like shout it out from the the mountaintop and every year i use them for like six years and yeah. every year i've been on them since they were so their role works now, their ad role before. I used them when they're ad yeah. role in the early 2010s too. Yeah. Every year when we, when we would evaluate, I'm including the cost of technology in my evaluation for them. And the first year, whoever we're working with, they were like, oh, okay, interesting. But I was like, no, like you're including the cost of technology. And I need to know that like your platform plus ad spend together is giving us an ROI for it. And the, the CS rep I worked with was fantastic. Like we went through it together. But there's so many tools where we go and say, I need you to justify your cost of the tool plus the return. Like, it's not enough for you to save me 10. Like, I'm not going to save 10 cents a gallon by driving an hour away. It doesn't make sense. And you start questioning it and then they just like lose their mind. My favorite example of that has to be, and maybe just because it's timely because I looked into it like not that long ago, but gifting, automated gifting (gasps) platforms. Yes. Oh my God. Like the pitch is fine. I get it. But then they all have these completely inaccessible startup fees. So you have to prove $30,000 USD because I'm in Canada, which is 40% more some days. You have to I have to prove 40K before I send a single thing out, which I'm like, I can spend 5K on a local small business to deliver things and get exactly the same thing. Maybe it's a little bit harder. Yeah, but it's not solving enough of a problem for me to give you $40,000 before you do no. anything. 
I used to it's use, a- I used thanks for a long time and it was, I'm going to, well, someone, hopefully I'm not super wrong in this. Sorry if I am. When I signed up for thanks, it was a $500 setup fee because we had branded items in it. And then yep. you just paid a percentage on the send. And it was like, Which there we fine. go. And so we yeah. went from them to looking at Sendoso, which was oh. like $30,000 platform fee, not even getting into the cost of anything. And you have to pay, you know, shipping and handling, all this stuff. I've used a distribution company, a distribution, a swag company in like the Northeast for a long time that does free, they do fulfillment for you too. And they'll do storage. It's not all free, but yeah, they'll do free warehousing, which is how we ended up getting with them. And then when I looked at it, I was like, well, I can buy incremental from them, have them do the packaging. And it's like, I know the person doing it. And so I feel a lot more safe with it. Or I can pay Sendoso a ton of money a year to have their platform, which is a beast to use and set up anyways, and have to pay incremental on top of it and pay higher incremental fees. Why would I do that? Not everyone has to be a SaaS platform. Have no. a service offering. like. <laughs> And like, yeah. sure, there are some cool things, one or two cool things, but it's not enough. And that's that's what I find really funny is that I gave that feedback to, all, I think, all of the vendors. I was like, you realize that like, also that my other beef with a lot of these like service providers turned SaaS companies is like, they completely disregard non-enterprise business. And yeah. that that has the potential to become enterprise business. And I was like, look, like I can't even try this. There's not even a way for me to test that this is going to work. And I, our CEO is a CFA, and which is actually great for the business because he's very aware of you know um, financial waste and inefficiency, and and it's given me the tools that I need to be able to evaluate those things more closely too. And I was like, tell me how I sell this, and there's no answer. Like I can't. And, and your your bullshit. ROI metrics that you have on your website actually don't mean anything. Yeah. And oh my God, you paid Forrester $150,000 to make a calculator to show duh. the value that you have. <laughs> like, um, holy shit, that must be very unbiased and real. <laughs> absolutely. I believe that. Oh, God. It's, and that's where, like, we've gotten into this, like, like pit of despair. <laughs> and at the same time, the peak of Mount Stupid, uh, which is just like, you know, all of this like smoke and mirrors when it comes to how something is actually helpful no real yeah. understanding and like people come into conversation sales conversations with me all the time assuming that i have a very uh basic marketing function oh. mm-hmm. and i'm like no like yeah. we have a borderline scientific inbound uh and marketing generated model that if i p- put your numbers in there it's going to explode and they just are just like, well, are you looking for X, Y, Z? It's like, no. Yeah. Like, but you're, <laughs> no. you're building, you're doing your data collection analysis in a spreadsheet. That's not efficient. Yeah. Cause then your fucking systems talk to each other. It's the best way to do it. Like, yeah. Honestly, honestly, yeah. I this is going to so be a, this is going to be a bonus episode rant. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. The world has become crazy. And I, I think like to circle it back to the original, uh, I think rant starter it's because we're in this vacuum and you know when I have conversations with other women in marketing I get so much value out of them and I there's a whole other world so I have to consciously disconnect from that world and not fall into it because it's all bullshit you know I think it's also I was speaking with uh I recorded an episode yesterday with a woman Joyce who is in Hong Kong who does content we're talking about AI 
and she's doing experimentation on LinkedIn. I don't think I have, if I have the clip recorded, I'll insert it here. I don't think it was on a recording. Um, but she went a month where she posted on LinkedIn, but didn't comment or engage with anyone. And then prior to that, she did a month where she just commented and engaged. And she was saying that she noticed that her newsfeed is a lot of the same looking people who are saying the same thing in different ways. It's like fake emotional story about my life tied into a sales pitch, yeah. right? It's like that same kind of format. And it's a lot of the exact same things. You know, I think that's why the marketing Illuminati, I'm going to call it now, is we have this world that's telling us that we need to do short form video on everything, short form video. If you test content on LinkedIn, you're going to find that oftentimes like text and images do really well. HubSpot for a long time did text only LinkedIn posts and they, they crushed it. We copied them. Yeah. The company was that we copied them for a while. Text as well. Images do well. Like people aren't as stupid as we want us to think. But when you listen to the echo chamber, the marketing Illuminati, is, I'm, I'm call it that now, is they're going to tell you it's video. It's short form video. It's, you oh. know, this stuff that has worked for us when it's not the thing that's making it work. It's like a piece of content you're using that you're putting a ton of money behind. So it's going to be successful. It doesn't mean it works. Exactly. But they just say the same stuff. And then what happens? You have an executive that comes to you and says, hey, I heard MQLs are dead. So I don't want to see MQLs <laughs> anymore. We shouldn't use MQLs. MQLs are dead. Oh. It's like you, yeah. you read half the article. <laughs> MQLs yeah. have a point. They're yes. not dead. And then they start asking why you're doing MQ. Why aren't we doing product like growth? I don't know, Joe, because you got an enterprise sales motion and there's no way for anyone to sign up for a free Whoa. trial account. We can't do product like growth, but it's the I, new hot thing. We need to do more ABM. You don't have a, you don't have a target account list sales. We can't do the A. We can't do just the, the M of ABM. You know, it's, it's, they just, it's they hear absolutely a, yeah. insane. Demand gen versus uh capture versus creation versus versus... oh man there's been so many and all of these contexts have always existed with the exception of like maybe some of the new tools and whatnot but it's like okay like everybody gets into a tussle i actually like have to i can't i can't get myself to engage in a lot of that stuff because i'm like this has no historical context into how marketing has long since worked it is Mm -hmm. disconnected and it's like such a small distinction most of the time like there is a whole thread or multiple posts from one company on linkedin about attribution and using self-reported attribution in their form yeah and there have been yeah so many posts about it it's like yes we know that attribution is not perfect and we know that you know there's a whole other element of you know um decision making that happens outside of a digital marketing campaign but like is this really worth that amount of space yeah, it, because attribution is dead is the new MQLs are dead. It's the new yeah. version of it. And I look at that as I'm going to and I'm going to like introduce my bias here. I have a master's in business analytics. I spent most of my career in something data function related. Yeah, I love attribution and marketing and data. Fucking love it. Same. It's not easy to necessarily set up and collect, but we're not John Wanamaker here comfortable in our 50 percent of marketing that we don't know what it does. It's worth it. It's not that hard. It's, it's not, not that hard to do. But you know why they're doing it. You know why people push back against attribution. It's the same people that don't want to have any metrics. They don't want to report on it. They don't want goals. It's yeah. because when you look at the work that 
when you look at the work that that maybe a person who's saying that and their agency is doing and the impact they're having on clients, maybe their impact is shit. So they want clients to stop measuring impact because yep. when you measure impact and you say, Hey, I want you to justify the cost of your service, your platform and the benefit that you have incrementally compared to me hiring someone to do this in native tools or do it in whatever we have, I want to know that there's a benefit there. When you start measuring and you start asking questions and the data doesn't line up, they're trying to convince you not to look at the data. Yeah. Like, that's what and it is. You can, I, I think I've gotten this question probably about a hundred times, but like, how do you measure the impact of, of brand? It's yeah. so, it's actually very simple to do, like not perfect, but simple. And you can do it with native tools and like you can do it with one or two tools. You don't need massive enterprise level tools. The data exists in one way or another and you can get it and you can report on it and you can keep interaction, track of interactions throughout the history of someone's buying cycle. I think one thing that you said that has really been, I think, a theme for me in the last few years is impact. And I think that is the key to this whole discussion, which is like, I if I can walk into a room and say, you know, I our efforts in marketing have directly contributed to seven or eight million dollars in pipeline last year and 70 percent of revenue in the last two quarters of last year and that alone gets me favor in many other areas i can prove all of that and i have a a, a sales team that obviously contributes to to those numbers greatly um, but that are also engaged in making that easier for them and interested in their own impact. And so it's like, you know, my team makes an impact because they're smart people and they know what they're talking about. They execute wonderfully. Um, they're trusted within the organization. That's impact. We can generate the numbers. And, you know, we don't ever really report on leads. The, yeah. no, we talk about only revenue almost and, you know, opportunity and pipeline generation. And it's you, so much easier. Yeah. The, 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 one of the favorite parts of my like experiences in my career is we had a QBR and I presented all of the numbers, the dollar numbers. And then I watched all the sellers go and they said, Hey, here, like, here's my, here's how I did this quarter. And you know, I had 15 ops that came in, 10 of them closed. And of those five were marketing sourced. And I let my sellers, my partner sellers who I didn't run oh. sales partner in the org. I let the sellers talk about marketing's impact. And that for me was like, there it is. That's, That's a validation. I can talk about the dollar impact my program's making. We're driving X percentage of pipeline and of that X percentage of revenue because our close rates are high. Our, the win rates from marketing source pipeline is higher. Here's yep. what we're doing. And then the sellers and you let other people talk about your successes, right? Yes. You get there because they know what you're doing because you're sharing what you're doing. You're aligned on goals. You're having an impact and then let them speak for you. Yep. Let and then them you, speak for you. You have a North Star. Everybody has the same North Star, right? Yeah. Like you can collectively move forward instead of bickering and and working overtime and spending so much time and company money in trying to justify your own existence. That yeah. is hor a horrible existence. It's draining. It causes burnout. It's like demotivating. You've never felt so much imposter syndrome in your life um, and not worth it. Yeah. <laughs> they never change so anyway. In summary, number one is go to an org that appreciates marketing. 
Yeah. Um, Cause if you don't, it's a wild card. If you'll ever actually get them to appreciate marketing, number one, align on goals and expectations, and then report on progress to, towards those goals. And the number two is form relationships with your counterparts, with those people. So they can also share your success for you instead of you having to be the one who's constantly saying like marketing did something good. Marketing has an impact like, like us. Love number three is if you're a woman in marketing, is share your shit and tell your story because you're probably more qualified than some of these fucking white men we see <laughs> talking at conferences. Yep. Submit to join the podcast. Guest application below. Yes. Link below. Yes. Yeah. Well, <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, we did go on a little bit of a side tangent. I think I might package that up as like a little bonus episode linked to it. So we can also yeah. keep kind of the, the focus concise, but I think it's, it's stuff that we're all thinking, not we stuff that women in marketing are all thinking yes. and you know, might as well talk about it. Yeah, absolutely. More awareness there is. And the more that people have a view of shared experience and that this is, you're not alone in this. <laughs> we all face, but you know, yeah. Awesome. And get out of the vacuum. Yes. Escape. Escape, escape the matrix come sit with us on the edge of the vacuum yeah where we're just eating popcorn looking at everyone in it talking about them yeah it's a great place to be yeah our vacuum is okay. better it's we have our so own vacuum better. yes yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right we'll see everyone on the next episode that was a great episode right Thanks for joining us for it. If you want to make sure that you don't miss out on any future content, make sure you hit that subscribe button below, click the bell to turn on notifications. And if you have any requests for content or guests you'd love to see on the show, leave them in the comments below.